All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast, and I'm here with my buddy, Sandra Crawford-Williamson. How are you, Sandra? I am great. So excited about today's podcast. Wow, this book is so awesome. Yeah. Hey, Rick, we have Rick Miller as a guest on today. Rick, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's great to be with both of you. So this is going to be a fun one because I write about this. Uh, I know Sandra and I absolutely believe that leadership is has nothing to do with your title. So uh, give you guys a little preview about what we're going to talk about. But here's a little background on Rick. Rick, you are in what you call an unconventional turnaround specialist. And and trust me, anybody out there that has been part of turnarounds, man, that that is a special kind of leadership because you are dealing with deep structural issues, not only in the business and processes, but in, in human relationships, aren't you, Rick? That's true. Yeah, big time. So uh, servant leader, you're a go-to chief. You're also an experienced and trusted confidant. You're an author, and this is really cool, a book, Be Chief. It's a choice, not a title. Came out one day, you were number one in leadership in Amazon, and then the next day they voted you number one in the management section. And Having had a lot of people on the podcast, Rick, getting number one and actually getting that recognition from Amazon is actually a really big deal. It means your book is actually a really good book. A lot of people will do all kinds of things to tweak the system to just, you know, be number one in a category for even just a brief period of time so they can get the screenshot. Okay. <laughs> okay. I think that's kind of what our industry does, but you actually have a book that's selling because of what's in it. Right. So now for 30 years, uh, you were a successful business executive, president, CEO at a Fortune 10, Fortune 30. You also have worked in startups and nonprofits. You have an MBA from Columbia and you live in Morristown, New Jersey, where some of my good friends live. But you have some of this great background and experience um, and across the, the spectrum. And that's what I love. It's just real. So, you know, as we start, I'd love for people to get to know you actually a little bit better in your own words. And what are some of the highlights about your journey that you wouldn't mind sharing? Well, thank you. And again, thanks to you, Sandra, for the opportunity to connect with your listeners. I think the most important thing uh, of all those uh, titles and everything else uh, that you've shared kind of goes back to how I grew up. I grew up in central Massachusetts. I was the oldest of three. And my dad, who raised us really as a, as a single parent, my mom was hospitalized for most of my life. We just lost her uh, last year. But for most of my life, mom wasn't around. So dad uh, did a wonderful job bringing us up, was very active in the community, was a, a trustee at the local Baptist church, leader in the church for years and years. But his job was he was, before we called them human resource people, they were people in, we used to call personnel. And uh, dad was a personnel guy, if you will in the only non-union machine tool shop in central Massachusetts. So we grew up a wonderful community, Marlboro, Massachusetts. Yep. Uh, but all around, all around where we were, if we went to the grocery store, we ran into people who were uh, union people and the church union people, all great people. But dad kind of taught me and my two younger brothers growing up at the kitchen table. His job, honestly, was to create an environment with management and the workers in the front line where a union wasn't needed, where the level of connectivity, where the communication, where the respect was at such a level that the unions, which aren't bad things, by the way, they're not, I'm not anti-union, but dad's job, what I learned from dad and is the oldest, I kind of tried to follow dad's lead, not the only young boy who wanted to grow up to be like dad. I just couldn't be more proud of him. And dad's, in my a very proud son's opinion, claim to fame is that in 27 years, as a personnel individual at the Healed Machine Company, guys, there was never even a union vote. 
Not one, not one vote to see whether a union was required. So, you know, the lessons that dad taught me growing up at the kitchen table, you know, hearing about, uh, you know, how to deal effectively with people and, and their issues and, and to listen to grievances and, and open up lines of communication and do lots of recognition and the things that, that now human resource individuals at, at all levels know how to run a great organization. That's what dad taught me and my two younger brothers. And, and I would tell you that mentioned some of the, the assignments that I've had uh, since and yeah, I've. I've had a chance to work with great people in some small companies, startups, uh, all the way to a Fortune 10 company that I was uh, privileged to be one of the leaders at, one of the chiefs, I guess, even though I didn't have a chief title at that particular assignment. But actually, everything that I've done since, I've read a lot of books. Uh, yes, I did get an undergraduate degree in business, and I got a master's in business. But everything that I learned, to be honest, just reinforced what my dad taught me. It really just said dad was right. So I was so blessed, so blessed to have the chance to learn from a wonderful individual who's still with us at, at 85 years and going strong, uh, still in central Massachusetts. But, you know, everything about my journey, you know, many people will talk about the, the titles and, and the, the scope of responsibility. And those are all kind of fun stories. But I know that at the root of all of it was a caring father who wanted to teach his sons what was important. So that's probably the best place to start. That's beautiful. I love that. And very similar to my upbringing. And, you know, I always call it scrappy, learning from a scrappy dad, you know, that people are the most important thing, that it doesn't really matter what you're doing with your hands, that as long as you treat people with respect and kindness and the old golden rule, right, that's what happens. What's one of the memories you have as a, you know, a child of looking at dad and kind of thinking, okay, this is this is what I want to do. Well, I think it's just how he held himself. Again, I saw him in leadership positions in the church. I saw him, uh, obviously, I viewed him. You couldn't tell me he wasn't running, you know, the machine tool shop at work because, you know, I was convinced that my dad, you know, growing up, my dad's the boss. You know, he never was talking uh, about uh, the person that he reported to in a overly deferential way. He, you know, viewed him as a peer, viewed him as a teammate, and, and really kind of just held himself in a way that I wanted to be like dad. And I would tell you, I was very aware of certain aspects of things. Like we did not have a lot of money. Uh, people in personnel were not uh, at the high end of the pay ladder. Uh, and we grew up lower middle class, rich in other ways other than money. But I did decide early on that I wanted to pursue business, uh, perhaps with my dad's lessons of people leadership as a backdrop. But uh, I knew that I wanted to economically do a little bit better uh, than the situation that I grew up in, but knew that dad was giving me the, the keys on how to do that as well. As you progressed through, you know, took those lessons, got your undergraduate degree in business, we, you know, we have a lot of young leaders that are coming out of college or they, they want to be leaders, right? They're stepping into the world right now. A lot of us at our age, Rick, you know, we're mentoring, guiding, you know, equipping these younger leaders. What are, you know, as you stepped into that role, what are some of the things you brought to it? And then kind of a follow-up to that is what advice do you have to people right now as they're really having more and more millennials coming into their workforce? What do we do to actually encourage kind of this, this mindset and approach to business and leading that you're talking about? Well, I think, you know, what I brought to it was I would tell you that I'd like to tell you that I, I walked in with, with all kinds of confidence and that with what my dad had taught me that I was well-equipped for that first job. But frankly, I'll, I'll tell you a different story because I was scared to death. And I'll tell you why I was scared to death. When we grew up, again, we didn't have a lot of money. 
and mom was uh, in a difficult situation. And we didn't talk a lot about money uh, or the lack thereof growing up, but I had a clue. I knew when things were really bad, either with mom's health or with the money, because dad would serve us fish sticks a week at a time. I mean, every night we'd come home from school and we'd be served fish sticks. Now, if you've ever had a fish stick, it's uh, viewed, I guess, fish is included in it, but basically highly (laughs) breaded, minimal fish. And if you put enough ketchup on it, you can probably get it down. But easy to serve and very, very inexpensive. And my brothers and I knew, we didn't talk about it, but when we were served fish sticks, we had a pretty good indication that while you know things were tense and we weren't talking about it, things were not good. So here's, here's how it related to my first job. When I went to, to business school, I had a great opportunity to learn. I went to Bentley University up in Waltham, Massachusetts. And I learned that to be a big deal in business, it was one class, my first marketing class my junior year, to be a big deal in business, this professor taught us, Again, Bentley trained primarily accountants at the time, and this uh, marketing individual said to the students, if you really want to be a big deal in business, you really have to learn about customers and competition. That's what you need to learn about. And he was kind of chiding the class, I remember, like it was yesterday. He said, and many of you won't do it, but if you really want to learn about customers and competition, you'll take a job in sales when you get out of school. And the reason that you'll do that is because You'll have to really learn about customers, what they want, what they want today, what they want tomorrow, and you'll have to learn how to beat the competition. And I, I was listening, and I'm writing it all down and say, wow, this is, these are the keys to the kingdom. This is how you can be a big deal in business. And then he went on to say, but what will make many of you uncomfortable is the fact that sales often is a commission-based job, which means if you don't sell, you don't get paid. And I was panicked. Because here was someone telling me that to be a big deal in business, I had to take this path. But if for some reason I wasn't successful, I could force myself to eat fish sticks. And it scared me to death. And probably the, by the grace of God, the best thing that ever happened, one of the best things that ever happened was I chose to face the fear. And I took that job in sales and uh, faced the fear. And let's just say by the grace of God, it worked out. So I would tell everybody that, you know, you're, you're going to find yourself in situations that are uncomfortable. And sometimes the best thing is to lean into that comfort, uh, guided by prayer, to lean into that discomfort. Because I don't know anybody that gets there without facing adversity. Uh, and sometimes, as human beings, sometimes we shy away from it and, and lean away. But in my case, uh, with a lot of support, leaning in was really key. And I think that goes whether it's for a boomer, a Gen Xer, a millennial, uh, whatever designation of wherever you are, I think that's counsel that can help a lot of people. I love that. I've had my share of fish sticks and I sometimes feed them to the kiddos. And you're right. Those are the days where everything is a total cluster and out of control. And what can I get on the table quickly? So I like that. I'm going to use that. It's a fish stick kind of day. Yep. Well, we all have we all we all have them. The, the issue is if it became a fish stick kind of week or a fish stick kind of month. I yeah. mean, we went through a lot of ketchup trying to get those things down. I'll just. <laughs> so, hey, have you bought fish sticks since you left home, Rick? That's a very easy answer. <laughs> no. As a matter of fact, when I speak and I do a bit of public speaking, I actually bring a box of fish sticks with me, and I hold it up to the audience, and I'd say, if I want to hold them for a Q and A period. I said, hang around for the Q&A after the presentation if you want to understand how this box of fish sticks led me to uh, earning my first million dollars. 
That's and invari- awesome. in- invariably, nobody leaves. That's awesome. I love that. Well, I have waited several questions in before I ask you about Melissa. And I'm dying to talk about her. It is who you were most inspired by, you say. I mean, you worked with a lot of amazing people and you have had the opportunity to learn at some amazing universities. And yet you say your dad and a six-year-old Melissa were the most impactful on you in terms of your leadership style and this book. Can you tell us all about her? In fact, the proceeds of your book are going to a facility, a place that I'd love for you to tell us about it as well, because I just won't do it justice. Well, thanks. I I appreciate the question. It does give me a chance to talk about one of the most gifted teachers that I have ever experienced. And and she was a six-year-old girl with cerebral palsy. I call her Melissa because of uh, medical reasons. You can't ever share somebody's real name, but we call her Melissa. But there's no question she was one of my greatest teachers. And the setting was I met Melissa at a rehabilitation hospital a number of years ago. I was there volunteering to work with a gifted physical therapist who was in a 100-degree heated pool that was required to help these wonderful kids that had very stiff muscles you know, release and stretch those muscles. When, when I first met Melissa, she came in and both her arms were clenched and her fists were up by her shoulders. She could not extend her arms. And uh, what struck me about Melissa uh, when I first noticed her was as she sat, we work with a number of kids uh, uh, during a particular afternoon or morning session. And I remember being struck by Melissa the first time I saw her as she waited patiently by the pool. She was just very serene. And she had been there before I had showed up. And I was always struck by the reaction of the staff to Melissa. They always lit up when she came around. I mean, she was, she was just kind and gentle and everyone responded in an amazing way to Melissa. And so when we got her in the pool, I just remember her focus. I remember that she would listen intensely to the instruction she was given by the physical therapist. And I was just impressed by everything about this wonderful six-year-old. She had one goal. In our pool, it was a small, like a Nerf basketball. And there was a floating hoop that sometimes the kids would, you know, try and play a basketball or something uh, close to basketball in the pool. All Melissa wanted to do was to be able to extend her arms fully out, grasp that little Nerf basketball, and put it in the hoop to score two points. That first day that we worked together, we got one of her arms to move maybe an inch and a half, maybe two inches. And we worked with her regularly in over a six month period of time. We actually got Melissa, she got got herself with our help actually, to actually reach out to grasp that basketball and score two points. And when she did, I would tell you that everybody who was working around the pool and other areas was kind of watching and, and there was a there was an eruption of, of celebration when she accomplished her goal. And, and the reason that I, I, I talk about Melissa the way I do is because the gift that Melissa gave me was understanding that I thought I was there to help Melissa, right? I thought my job is to be the giver, not realizing that I was receiving so much more from this six-year-old, who she was, what she did, how she did it. I mean, I was the receiver, I was receiving a gift 
from a, an incredibly wise six-year-old who was just being who she was because of the gift that she was. And uh, yeah, I included uh, this little uh, topic in a, in a TED talk that I did. And it's probably the most uh, requested uh, discussion that I have when I do get a chance to speak. People want to know about Melissa. And I understand why. Because she was in every way, I, you know, the, the, to the book, we talk about chiefs. Chiefs have power in our culture. Well, I'll tell you what, Melissa was a chief, had no title, had no conventional power, at least the conventional definition. But I want to tell you what, the impact, the influence, the clarity, the energy, the confidence that this little six-year-old had, unbelievable, unbelievable. And so you asked about how that links to uh, – to the book is very much, uh, it's got a big section on Melissa and what she did, but all proceeds of the book go to a wonderful place. It's called Sammy's House. At Sammy's House, their founder, Isabel Huerta, has created an amazing environment where many kids with special needs come. And, and not only are they given incredible opportunities to learn, but Isabel's whole focus is on making sure that the, the staff understand that these kids have so much to give. So the staff really, who I've met with, they learn. They understand they're there to learn from these wonderful teachers, these, these wonderful kids with special needs, as much as they are to serve them. The model is amazing. They have uh, 75% of the kids at Sammy's house are kids who would be identified as kids with special needs. And they've created such an incredible learning environment, uh, which is focused on the needs of, of learners at a particular age group, that 25% of the kids, the other 25%, are those that in another setting might be viewed as normal or are not facing the challenges of the 75%. And the environment is an amazing environment because it's a reverse inclusion situation where the majority of the kids are facing challenges that in, in other situations, there might be one or two kids in a class who are faced with these normal challenges. But it's a reverse inclusion model where everyone is learning from everyone else. And to me, when I learned about it, it really became, to me, a place to recognize wonderful teachers like Melissa, who, again, just such such a gift to me, and as are these kids at Sammy's house. Well, and in fact, it's right in Austin, Texas, near where I am in Dallas-Fort Worth. And just to you know, give them a plug, on October 20th in Austin, they have their big Eat, Drink, and Be Scary gala fundraiser. So... Whether you're able to support them that way, I mean, it's just, it's an amazing facility. And you're right, they use some leadership techniques there that are pretty incredible. Because if you think about that in everyday life, and you talk about this a lot, that, you know, sort of the pretty people tend to get the default reaction as leaders, right? But you talk a lot about how leaders are often at first overlooked, but then really sort of rise to the top. Well, I think the point is really, and you said it very well, is that we all, every one of us has a soul that is capable of, we call it leadership. I call it connecting what we do to who we are. I think Melissa taught me or, or reminded me that we are all at our best when we connect what we do to who we are. And I think that's the lesson that Sammy's house, and thank you for the plug for what's coming up on uh, later in October. It's a wonderful place where that is practiced. And I think, uh, as you said very well, we all have that in us. The question is, how can we shed the cultural bias towards uh, people with titles or people who are in our culture viewed to be in some way attractive? 
when in fact it's got nothing to do with the outside. It's got to do with the inside and power comes from the inside. And that, again, going back to Melissa, is the lesson that she reminded me of. Yeah, you know, in your book, Rick, you talk about everybody, where, where at, regardless of our position, kind of where we're at in life, can step up and be a chief. And you said in that moment, it really struck you that Melissa in that pool was a chief. What does that mean to be a chief? Well, to me, you know, chiefs, people are interested in the term chief, honestly, John, because they're interested in the power associated with the term chief, right? I mean, traditionally, chiefs have been rulers of people. They've been at the top of the food chain. They've been those that people look to for answers. But increasingly, people are understanding that looking to others for answers is frankly not as uh, not as important as looking inside, right, or to a higher power for answers. And those that need some reminding of that, uh, we spend a lot of time in the book talking about what power truly is. And power, the conventional view of power being authority or control, you know, coming from positions or titles, that's what I refer to as yesterday's newspaper. Today, power is all about things that come from inside, internal clarity, uh, energy that comes from inside, confidence that comes from inside. And with that, the ability to influence other people and have an impact all come from a power that is inside us. So uh, to be chief is just to focus on yourself, not in a selfish way, but to be the best version of who you can be. Be more you. Uh, don't try to be somebody else. There's always a voice in your ear from a well-intentioned a friend or spouse or son or daughter or incessantly the media who will try to tell you this is what you should aspire to. And you know some of that is well-intentioned. Some isn't so well-intentioned, to be honest, as they try to guide you in a particular way. But it's up to all of us to make the choice. And that's what the subtitle of the book is. You know, it's a choice. To be chief is a choice, not a title. So the choices that are available to all of us to increase our clarity, to increase our energy, to increase our confidence and our influence and our impact are choices that are available uh, to all of us. We just need to be reminded and that's really what the book is all about. You know, the word clarity, I, I think a lot of people listening, my suspicion is they don't feel like they have a lot of that internal clarity. So, Rick, what does that look like in your opinion? Well, I, I think it, it is kind of quieting yourself to, to understand kind of what is clear to you. It's, none of this is easy, but it's a path that we're on. We're trying to grow. We're trying to get a little bit more clear, a little bit. I don't know anybody that has perfect clarity or, you know, perfect confidence. I mean, we're human beings. But I found that in, and again, the unconventional turnaround specialist says, bring an awful lot of this to the organizations that I work with. Uh, clarity, I found, uh, has everything to do with the probability of success. And there's an element of discipline that I link to this topic of clarity, which is taking the time to figure out what is your vision, right? What is this thing that I'm trying to accomplish? Who am I trying to be, if you will? And then developing a strategy and some tactics and, and a kind of work, you know, plan the work and work the plan. To, and it reinforces itself. Work towards, in a disciplined way, trying to manifest what I believe is my destiny. Then I think that clarity comes with some repetition, with some reinforcement, but again, with a little bit of discipline. So I do, at least my version of power, believe that clarity is tightly linked to your willingness to be maybe a little bit more disciplined in what we do. I think for me and the people that I've worked with, uh, it's led to clarity that's been very helpful for them. 
you know, it's interesting because your book is just on fire on Amazon, just like flying off the shelves, so to speak. And I think it's because it absolutely resonates with people that, you know, we all have this sort of default expectation of what power is and what leaders are and what a chief is. But you just threw very, you know, real world examples, talk about, hey, this is, you know, this isn't always the case. And you really sort of challenge us to look at things differently. Are people really responding to it. Why do you think that's the case? There's a lot of great stuff out there, a lot of great writing. I reread Adam Grant's book over the weekend, the Give and Take, talking about how uh, his version of servant leadership. There's so many great books out there. I think what's different about this book is I use two words that rhyme and they're simple, and I'm a, I'm a simple guy. There's a lot of books that supply great information along these lines, just almost seemingly limitless. But what I found is that there are many fewer examples of books that help you apply what others supply. And this book is really about how do I bring it into my life? How do I, I can read, you know, there's many great authors who have written hundreds and hundreds of books of leadership and inspiration, and they're great things. But this book is really for the practitioner, right? It's the how do I apply this stuff into my life? How do I make a, uh, a step forward. John, I'm, I, I listened to one of your earlier podcasts and I was really struck by your motto, right? What's your next small step forward, right? I was really struck by that when you offered that on a prior podcast. And I thought it was, I said, yeah, I, I, I get that. And the whole idea is what is your next step? So in the book, we talk about what is your, what, we don't use those exact terms, but there's plenty of examples. You know, give you 25 different areas where you might take a small next step towards being more clear or more influential or higher energy or higher confidence or impact. So it really goes to, John is uh, very much about this, it is what is that next step and how do I take it? So I think, you know, long answer to a short question, I think there's a lot of great sources of supply of this stuff. That's a technical term, stuff. But this book is about how to apply it. How do you do it? What's it look like? on the front lines, not in the research hall or the or, or an academic view. It's a very pragmatic, simple view of what can I do, right? How can I be more me and how do I take those steps in simple ways? So I think that's a long answer to a short question. No, I love it. And in fact, I think sometimes these books, you know, that try to talk about leadership, they focus on trying to change us and turn us into people yeah. that that others will follow and but turn us into something that we're not. And what I love about this book is you really focus on looking at yourself and finding the attributes you already have that can make yourself a chief in your current environment. So instead of trying to change yourself and, you know, fit yourself into something else, this book has an approach of let's look at who I am and where I am and let's start taking steps to maximize that situation. I couldn't agree more. I'll give you one example of, of something that I recommend in the book that allows people to be more them. And the issue is values. I believe that values are really an understanding your values are a key to confidence. And here's a little a trick, if you will. If you asked eight people who know you best, what do you think I stand for? When you think of me, what do you think I stand for? 
it's interesting because those eight people who think highly of you, I'm guessing, and, and have a pretty good feel of you, might use all kinds of very positive but different terms to describe you. Someone might see you this way. Someone might see you that way. And that's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. But if you, if, if you say, give me the top four things, if you, for example, and you ask eight people, you can do the math eight times four, you could get 32 very different answers. And that's not a bad thing. But if you really want to be more powerful, just think about this. If you really want to be more powerful, what would happen if you took some time to think of all the positive things that you think of in the world, but what do you really stand for most? And you spent some time by yourself thinking, you know what, there's a lot of great things out there, but I really want to stand for something. Now, for me, I will tell you, I've done this exercise, and I have come to understand that my big four are truth, service, equality, and connection. So I would just tell you that I talk about those terms. I try to, li- I try to walk the talk, but I write about them. I, I'm, I'm pretty consistent in sending the message out that not that other uh, attributes are, are bad, but those are the core four that I stand for. And I can tell you that if I asked eight people around me, what do you think I stand for? They might not give me those four words exactly, but the energy around the words, uh, some might say empathy, someone might say kindness. I think those are kissing cousins. They would come up with four that would generally kind of categorize in those four areas. So my only point is that for people who have, these are all choices, right? I'm not saying you need to do anything. But for people who want to stand for something, figure out what you want to stand for. Take the time. What's the most important you want to? And stand for it, right? So I just give you that as an example of, of choices that you could make to take you know, a list of 50 wonderful attributes and try to whittle them down. Not that you don't want it, you want to ignore the other 46, but if there's four that you really want to stand for, my belief is that once you figure out where you stand, you can take one. And when you take a stand, that positive energy is felt by the people around you. So it's just an example. And I would tell you that with that comes a, a degree of confidence. And you know, I think that's just an example, if you will, of something that people might look to do should they be so inclined. Yeah, and you know, you talked about Rick. You know, some of these should values, these things. I think I should, you know, how I think I should show up because of my work or expectations of others. Right, the the tyranny of they. This is what they expect of me. Yeah. And until we get an alignment, I think of you know really who we are at the core, our beliefs, our values, our vision, what we stand for. It's actually from that place when we're kind of in convergence of what we do, who we are, and then how we do things is that is, I, I believe, kind of the recipe to have some significant influence and impact regardless of our tenure at an organization, our title, or our position on the org chart. And so I completely agree with you. That's where I believe it starts if we really want to be a, a transformational leader in whatever sphere of influence that we're operating in. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And it does, you can take a lot of action in any particular field, in any particular direction. But if it's grounded in who you are, who you are at the very core, then the probability of success, the impact, if you will, goes up exponentially. I'll just offer another one. Um, I believe that energy is absolutely linked to self-understanding and what I call in the book insight. And in the book, I, I talk about what I believe are five choices that we all make to increase our self-understanding 
our insight and as a result, our energy. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, getting a caffeine drink and increasing your energy that way, right? Five, five hour energy or have another cup of coffee. That's not what I'm talking <laughs> about. I'm talking about real energy, sustainable energy. It's the force of life. So how do you increase that kind of energy? I believe there are at least, but the five that I focus on are how you show up. I encourage people to figure out, are they, can they be present? I mean, truly present in the moment. Can they be still? We'll go back to that one in a minute. Can they be accepting? Can they be generous? And can they be grateful? I believe those choices in those five areas are huge. Now, the be still, I'll go back to that one, I think is just at the top of the, the food chain. Because the ability to be still, if it's still in prayer, if it's still in meditation, if it's still, if it's a walking, uh, you know, through nature, however you find a way to still your mind and receive, not from the media or not from your iPhone, which is constantly in your, you know, doing what it's doing, but to be still, to, to really receive guidance, uh, the kind of guidance that matters. I think that's the key to really establishing the kind of energy that really drives true power. So again, to be present, to be still, to be accepting, to be generous, to be grateful. Uh, and the book does give you very simple uh, ideas about uh, how would you describe yourself? Some people can be present, but not much at all. Other people are more present. And again, John, to yours, to your, your great question, you know, what's your next small step forward? How could you be a little bit more present? What could you do to give yourself a little bit more time to be still? And what would the benefit be? I believe it's energy and power. Uh, but be a little bit more grateful, a little bit more generous. What, what, what would that do to you and the people around you? And again, going back to your point, John, couldn't agree more. That's how you find out who you are, not how somebody else wants you to be. But when you're making decisions and choices based on the confidence in your values and the energy of insight, I think your power, true power, goes up exponentially. Even just one thing you can do, be a little bit more accepting and just acknowledging there's things about other people that we might never know or realize, but they have experiences that color who they are, how they react in situations, and we have to take personal responsibility for how we show up when somebody else is, maybe from our perspective, being difficult. I mean, there's so many things that just increase, you know, the relationships, the which then increases the influence that we have with other people. No uh, question. I also think, too, just as a, a side note, when I know that for myself, when I've had probably the times of the most stress or anxiety, I have made a choice to actually show up counter to some of these things that are core to me. And, you know, that can give you some insights that, you know what, it's really time to kind of slow down and get in touch with some of these things. So, now, your, your website, so people can find out more about you, it's beingchief.com, correct? Beingchief.com. And then if you want to find out more about the book, it's beingchief.com forward slash the hyphen book. And you also have a, uh, a great survey. Well, we'll make there. it easier. Can, yeah. can even make it even easier. Yes. Right? The, the name of the book is, is there's a book page, beechief, B-E-C-H-I-E-F, beechief.com, which will bring you right to the book. Yep, beechief.com. It'll bring you right to the book. You can take a free power compass survey to figure out how powerful you are. Again, most of the, the work that, uh, uh, that I've been asked to do by the good Lord, at least in this lifetime, has been in business. And the language of business is numbers. So it really does help some of the left brain dominant people that I spend lots of time with to, to take a lot of these great concepts 
what people might refer to as right brain concepts and translate them into a number. So you can actually go on, take you less than five minutes to actually give yourself a power score and basically determine self-assessment. How, how much clarity, influence, energy, confidence, and impact do I have right now? And then from that, what simple choices, what small steps forward might I take to increase that power if, and here's the key, you know, there's no one looking over your shoulder to figure out what score you got in the test. It all is your own assessment about how do you feel about your current level of power. If you're fine with where you are and what's going on, then no one's nudging you to do anything different. But this is an opportunity for you to to think about, I talked about the values exercise, to think about what you might do if maybe you want a little bit more power as defined by those five attributes. So that's on there. There's also a free chapter of the book on bchief.com if you want to check that out. There's some wonderful information and pictures on Sammy's house that's there as well. So bchief, B-E-C-H-I-E-F.com. Uh, again, the, uh, the survey itself, the, uh, the assessment is free. The book is free, but all the results are, all, all the, the proceeds are going to a wonderful charity. So bchief.com is the fastest way to get, to get all this, John. That's wonderful. And, you know, just thank you for sharing all this with us. And, you know, I'm a big believer that your upbringing, you know, there's all these studies that show by the age of seven, eight, nine, different studies show different ages, but certainly before your double digits, your personal value system is established and that that's what you sort of take into life as a grown up. And some of us have baggage and some of us have one little tote bag of baggage and some of us have like bellhops behind us with carts of baggage. But, you know, this book is just a real world, very practical approach. And so it's, it's your story and it's inspiring, but it also gives very, you know, just basic things to apply. As you said, there's a lot of supply, but this is all about apply. So thank you so, so much for writing this book and for sharing it with us today. What are your final, final thoughts? You know, our audience is out there. They're listening. They want to take something back into their, their workplace, their life, into their nonprofit, into their family. What's the one thing you can leave them with today? I guess one of the things is there's many, there's many, but the one that comes to mind is actually a Bible verse. We're all trying to figure it out. And we sometimes attribute those who have big titles and and our culture have uh, achieved a, a level of quote-unquote success, we defer to those people sometimes, and I think uh, too much, uh, when in fact we are all the same. So my, uh, my Bible verse that I'd leave with your listeners is 1 John 3, 1. See what love the Lord has for us, that we may be called the children of God, and so we are. We're all God's children. We are all equal. Uh, we are all connected. We're all trying to figure it out. And as long as we uh, avail ourselves of, of the many teachers that are out there, because you're absolutely right, by age seven, many of these things are set. But I'll tell you what, I was a heck of a lot older than seven when Melissa came into my life. And thankfully, I was, I was open to understand that there are teachers all around us. And as children of God, we're all student teachers. We're all, we all have something to share, and we all have lots to learn. So I would just offer that uh, uh, for the good of the order. Thank you very much, Rick. That was awesome. I really appreciate your time and just what you're bringing out into the world. That's awesome, my friend. And uh, thank you for being part of this. This is such a great message. And every one of us can can increase our, our influence, our impact. And just uh, think about what Rick said. What is just that one thing 
that we can focus on. And I, I would say right now for a lot of people, it's just that area of just self-awareness, actually starting to go out. I love your call to action. And I'd love to hear from people that go do this. Go ask eight people and just start making a list of what do you think I stand for? And then just sit down with that alone and just see where that leads you because that right there could be powerful. 